0: Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for another mailbag where I answer your hot takes, your questions, your observations, and ultimately your comments on tennis and other things. Post Australian Open, I think it might be a new record in comments, over 200 if you include the replies I posted on the YouTube community tab over 24 hours ago. I also tweeted at my Twitter handle, at Gil underscore Gross. Seeking your comments on um, on what what's on your mind. One week removed, about one week, five days after the final, Nadal over Medvedev in five sets, and uh, it's again one of the one of the deepest, most interesting comment pools I have ever read. So uh, let's get into it. I'm gonna go about an hour, and I gotta keep my answers tighter. If I have this many comments, I gotta be concise and to the point. About 20 minutes in, I'll go to Twitter. Let's start with uh, all these comments on the YouTube community tab, and we start with Ali. This is in alphabetical order, by the way, so I believe I'm starting here with R or N so that in the Nadal questions, I think N, so that the Nadal questions can go first. Uh, Ali says, Rafa's second serve speeds were the fastest of all four remaining players heading into the semifinals. But is this because of any technical changes or is it more of a mindset thing, as hinted at by Carlos Moya as he gets older? And then the second serve speeds laid out here. Rafa at 162 Ks. Berrettini at 161 Ks. Medvedev at 156. Tsitsipas at 155. And then another note here is that Rafa's average was down at 150 Ks at Roland Garros last year. I'm used to dealing with miles per hour, but that's okay. Um, I I can, you know, I think it's easy for everyone to see what's going on there. That's just unbelievably impressive because Berrettini has what I regard as up there for maybe the best kick serve in the world. If you take Isner and Opelka out of the equation, I think... Berrettini I love and teams kick serve I love and obviously Federer's kick serve I love. Uh, Berrettini is up there. Tsitsipas also up there. I think Tsitsipas has a great kick serve, second serve, and second serve points won. Tsitsipas led the tour last year, so you could see the effectiveness there. Ultimately for Nadal, I know averaging over 100 miles per hour and 162 Ks here, that's the one thing that was different here uh, in his Australian Open run because all the things that we've seen being very aggressive on the first forehand, showcasing the variety on the backhand, coming forward a lot when he needs to. We've seen all that in the Carlos Moya era. That's not new. What is new is the aggressive second serves, which I think is a great addition to his game. I mean we know how deadly Rafa's first forehand is. So if he can make it more difficult for right-handers especially to direct that those backhand returns either down the line um or inside out to the Nadal backhand, which is already hard to do in itself. I mean if he can find more forehands off of that second serve, that's that's a game changer. That's a deal breaker. So I think uh I think it's a mindset thing, not a technical thing just assuming more risk on that second serve. It's not really a kick serve, it's more of a kick slice to a slice. So if he can, um, if he can feel confident hitting that serve, that's a big development and that's the, the biggest thing from an X's and O's standpoint that changed here for Nadal. It's one from Sanji. Just a few days ago, I read a very concerning stat about Rafa. He lost 15 out of the last 16 tiebreaks he played against top 10 players, which is obviously a terrible stat for a player of his caliber. How can you explain that, especially for such a clutch player like Rafa? Did he go that tense during tiebreaks, or is there something else? I mean, part of it is, of course, a coincidence and you know luck, but another part of it is... I mean, there have been some bad tiebreaks in there that have been, I think, high profile. Uh, And there are some very important tiebreaks that he has lost, such as the fifth set tiebreak against Team at the Australian Open in 2019. Next year, 2020, he loses a third set tiebreak to Tsitsipas, where he blew a couple of overheads and he shouldn't have lost that one. And uh, I don't think that Nadal's clutchness or his nerve management has been awesome all things considered, in the last two or three years, and I've said that repeatedly, it's been good enough. Like, he is, he's had great results, and he just won a major. uh, But I I don't think that has been the calling card. And again, I just want to say that, you know, Nadal has had to adjust under pressure from a player who responds to pressure moments by adding margin and safety in his game and relying on his legs and his shot tolerance to a player who has had to fight that under pressure, who has had to hit out, uh, on his forehand and try to be aggressive on his serve and, and do all of these, uh, things that are technically, uh, increase the, the increase the chances that he is going to award his opponent an unforced error, which is goes against every, everything in his body, every, every instinctual, Cell in his body says, do not give a mistake. Do not give a free point under pressure. But he's had to fight that recently. And I think that's a continuous process for Nadal. And I think he can get better in that respect. Just trusting his aggressive game under pressure. You know, in the second set against Medvedev, he shouldn't have lost that set. You know, his forehand just faltered under pressure in that second set. And as I've said, you know, had Nadal lost that match, that would have been an area that, that we looked at, if he hadn't come back, it would have been the second set where we looked at, and it would have been nerves there getting in the way of, of, of winning that second set where he just, he lost his forehand off the ground under pressure. But, uh, he was, I think, you know, once he gets into a war, I think, uh, in, in the fifth set, he's been pretty good. He's had a good fifth set record. That's for sure. From Riri, and uh, this is a question that I think I've seen a couple times. Medvedev plays a similar game to Novak. He's athletic, a great returner, especially on hard court. Why do you think Nadal has struggled so much against Nole, but not against Daniil? What separates them? Is it a mental block he has against Djokovic? I mean, there are a couple of things. Obviously, you can point to areas where Djokovic is just much better mentally than Medvedev, and he's just a a more advanced player from from a mental perspective that you know, Medvedev's just not there yet. But I think from a technical aspect, while it is true that Djokovic and Medvedev share some of the same strengths, they are polar opposites when it comes to court position. While Djokovic hugs the baseline, takes time away, plays on the rise, and steals time away from you, Medvedev is not very good at that. Medvedev, the dynamic that has been most successful for Djokovic against Nadal on hard court is not, is not a... Pattern that Medvedev is able to execute. Part of that is on the return. Djokovic takes his return early. Medvedev utilizes an ultra deep return position, which changes a lot of how Nadal is able to attack off of the first ball. Um, Medvedev's court position gives Nadal the ability to come forward and finish points at net, like we saw at the 2019 US Open, like we saw at certain key points. In this Australian Open final, it opens up those drop shots, which Nadal has mastered in recent times. Just beautiful shot selection and execution on the drop shot to take advantage of that. I think most importantly and most frequently, the angles that Nadal is able to produce on his forehand gives Medvedev a lot of problems. It forces him to move up in the court. It puts him in uncomfortable positions. While Djokovic can cut off some of those angles, play on the rise and kind of play dictating tennis against Nadal by taking time away and rushing that forehand side by going hard, heavy, early cross court with, with the backhand, Djokovic can. Medvedev is not very good at that. Uh, he he would much rather play on the fall, not on the rise. So that's a big difference in the way these points are playing out. However, and this might be a common theme throughout this mailback, Let's not let's caution against completely transforming how we think about Nadal or Medvedev based on this match. And we we always do this. This is this is always going to happen, but Medvedev won more points than Nadal in this match. It was a very very close match from a historian's perspective, from a historical perspective. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Who cares how close it was? Nadal won Medvedev lost, that is all that matters when it comes to history, when it comes to, you know, results. Like, I understand that results-based outlook. As an analyst, we can't do that. As an analyst, you have to look at, this is a 50-50 match. These small details might have swung it, but a couple points here and there, that was the difference. So, Nadal and Medvedev, pretty much even. Pretty much even. Um, 7-5 in the fifth. Medvedev up two sets to love. Nadal comes back, I mean, you cannot say, you cannot make those leaps that, okay, um, now we look at Medvedev and Nadal on completely different playing fields because Nadal came through the match. We can't do that as an analyst. We can do that as a historian because from a historical perspective, it doesn't freaking matter. Nadal won, Medvedev lost, that's it, right? But as an analyst, you have to not overreact to one result. It can't change the way you look at the players. Uh, from SJ, would it be fair to say Nadal's uh, Nadal is overall the most skilled player? His relatively weaker serve compared to his rivals Forced him to develop every shot in the game, giving him the best combination of offense, defense, power, spin, touch, shot making, feel, and volleys out of anyone. Is it fair to call him the most skilled overall? Let me tackle this question. I think as a baseliner, yeah, I think he's the most skilled baseliner in the sport right now. Now, I I think there are more fluctuations in his game. When when he kind of is off, when he loses the confidence, especially on the forehand side, I think that happens a little bit more often than it would with a Djokovic or a Medvedev, who just tend to give you the same thing on a more consistent basis. But I think when Nadal is firing, I do think he's the most skilled baseliner, and you know that the only problem with that is that takes away the serve and the return. And then I think if you include serve and in return, it's impossible. It's very difficult to really answer this. What I think the question is asking is if you take athleticism out of it, athleticism is out of the equation. Who is the most skilled player? And uh, I, I appreciate that, that thought exercise. I do. Um, and again, I, I do think that Nadal, from a tools perspective, all the things he does— to win rallies, you know, I, I would give him that title with the weapon that he has on the forehand side, combined with, uh, all of the, all of the variety that he establishes on the backhand side, his transition game and his volleys and his drop shots, all of that being as good as it is the way he defends brilliantly, uh, his anticipation, his anticipation. And, um, yeah, I think there's a reason he's the best clay court player. Over the years, and that is because he is the best baseline rally winner. Uh, but I think if you put serve and return in there, now it's really hard to answer that, and it's hard to call Nadal the most skilled player uh, unequivocally. I mean, he still might be, but I think serving is a skill. So I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's hard. That's a, that's a tough one because it's hard to separate skill and movement. Footwork, athleticism, very hard to separate. Uh, Do you think this victory will help Nadal's French Open chances by relieving some of the pressure he would have felt if Djokovic won the Australian Open or hurt his chances by decreasing motivation or putting an even bigger, if that's even possible, target on his back? I don't think this victory affects Nadal at the French Open. And I think we've seen this very consistently that... You know what happens in Australia on the hard court. That's not really going to affect the Djokovic Nadal head-to-head. It it never really has. I mean, once you turn the pa- the page to clay, it's it's a different story. And uh, I I think Nadal really does take it one tournament at a time, and he he is very good at focusing on what he can control, which is his own game and himself. And uh, I believe him when when he says I'm just worrying about the level that I'm playing, and it's it's kind of a one tournament at the time. I think Nadal has a built-in insecurity. I I never really think he feels like he's going to win comfortably, and uh, I just don't think I just don't think what happened in Australia is going to matter in three months at all for Nadal's chances at, at the French. From Max, uh, both Rafa and Novak won their least favorite slam from two sets to love down in the final against the best next-gen player on that surface. Two questions from this. In your opinion, which tournament win was more memorable to you and why? And uh, do you see scar tissues left over for Daniil and Steph next time they play a slam final? And how could they overcome that? for the first one i can't say which is more memorable because they're different kinds of memories you know for novak i think the win over i think the win over nadal in the semifinal is one of the signature wins of Djokovic's career. And I find that to be the mo- even more memorable than the final and the comeback from down two sets to love against Tsitsipas. I found the comeback against Tsitsipas to feel a little bit inevitable at all times. And I, I never felt like Tsitsipas was that close to even winning the match. So in that sense, I found the final much more memorable. The Medvedev-Nadal final to me was much more memorable than the Nadal uh, sorry, the Djokovic City Pass final in Paris. So a little bit different. Nadal was more unexpected, in my opinion. So I thought Djokovic's performance was better from a tennis perspective, was more like breathtaking as far as the level goes. But as far as the storylines go and the unexpectedness goes, then Nadal's was has the leg up. So just different. I can't I can't choose one. Scar tissues left over for Daniil. I don't think losing the final is an issue for Daniil at all. I just wonder, like, how is he going to deal with the whole crowd thing moving forward? You know, if there's going to be scar tissue, it's just from that. It's going to be from feeling, you know, deeply hurt and affected emotionally by the crowd. I think he'll get past it and be fine, but we'll have to see. Steph, slam final? No. I don't think... Again, I don't think... He is going to I don't think he blew it. Like I know he was up two sets to love, but he wasn't he wasn't the better player in that match, C T Pass. And he never got close to winning it. He he just again, he, he won the first two sets and then he lost in straights. I, I don't I don't know if he can I don't know if it was uh it wasn't a choke. So I don't think I don't think so. I don't think he was there. I don't think he was quite ready to win. Um, and and I I think they'll both be fine in the next major final. One part of the narrative. This is from a Mugs game. One part of the merit narrative that I have noticed um, has not been mentioned is this. Do you see any parallels with Rafa's victory over Shapovalov in five and Novak's victory over Fritz in five last year? Both injured, sick, look to be really struggling and possibly going out. Somehow they pull it out of the bag against all odds, roar back to win the title. Totally, totally parallels. And parallels in the sense that you can't just credit Novak and Rafa. I mean, Shapovalov should have won that match, and Fritz should have won that match. And not only was was Nadal and Djokovic, not only were they really great and professional and dogged and and mentally focused in trying to get the best out of themselves on that given day, but also their opponents were not good. So definitely parallels there. And I do think it helps a player moving forward in a tournament always when they kind of get through those early scares. Sometimes it frees them up in the in the later rounds as well. From Andrew. What do you think was more meaning, meaningful to Rafa, conquering the Australian Open after the four finals losses over the past decade or breaking the tie and being the first to 21 majors? Do you believe him when he says he doesn't care whether or not he ends up with the most? Enjoyed your coverage and analysis of the beginning of the year tournaments and AO. Thank you for that. I do believe him because I think I kind of relate to it in a sense that as a, as a person, I just and I just mentioned it, probably on the wrong question. I meant to talk about this for, to this question, but Nadal is very good at focusing on himself. You can't control what happens to Federer and Djokovic. You can only control it, control it when you play against them. And when you play against them, you try to win the match. But you can't worry about what they do. And some people are, as humans, are are just good at not worrying about what they can't control. And others are not good at, at, at that. And they do worry about some things like that, that they can't control. Everyone who knows me in my personal life knows I, I very rarely get worked up over something I can't control. I don't know. It's just, it's one of my strengths. I have so many weaknesses that I can tell you about, but it's just one of my strengths as a person. I don't, I don't get worked up. Like if I can't control it, it is what it is. Who cares? I think Nadal probably has that. Like he just, what he can't control, he can't control. And in that sense, I believe him, that he's just trying to win titles. And what happens with Federer and Djokovic, I truly believe that he's not worried about that. I really don't think he—I I, I don't think he is. I believe him. Um, I'm very disorganized. I'm terrible at math. I'm, uh, I'm somewhat forgetful when it comes to certain things, like sometimes names and— uh, Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm challenged in, I I think those are enough weaknesses because if I, you know, I got to even it out. This can't be a, a too much of a pro Gil gross, uh, show, right? Uh, 20 minutes in, let's go to Twitter real quick. Let's hit up some of these, uh, these Twitter comments. You can follow me on Twitter at Gil underscore gross. Uh, this one from Jason, who I know asked it on YouTube as well, so we'll answer it here. What would the headline be in the tennis if Medvedev won in three versus Rafa after being up two love, or if Medvedev just won? I guess if that changes anything, I think that's a useful exercise. Again, because that could have happened. It was it was two sets. It was love forty. I will repeat. The historian in me in me, the historian in me does not care about any of that. The analyst in me does And to answer your question I think these would have been the storylines. It would have been Medvedev with uh, a physical advantage winning on shot tolerance and peppering the Nadal backhand Nadal's backhand not being enough of a weapon to actually do damage in those rallies and that changed. It ended up changing later in the match. But that was it early on. Nadal, the Nadal serve against the Medvedev return. Nadal serve not making a dent in Medvedev's return. I mean, not a dent. I mean, first two sets, Nadal might as well have started the point with a feed. Because it just wasn't doing anything against Medvedev's return. And part of that was Nadal serving just not being good enough. But another part of it is how amazing Medvedev is as a returner, as we saw all tournament long. And I think those would have been the two main things. It would have been Nadal, Nadal's serve versus Medvedev's return. Medvedev's return just absolutely smothering the Nadal's serve. And then the shot tolerance. Those would have probably been the two big things. In the second set, Nadal would have had all of his chances. And I probably would have been talking about the nerves there in the second set being an issue for Rafa. And just not executing on a couple of forehands that, you, you, you know, from Nadal's perspective, you have to... Deliver on, so I think that would have been it. From Oliver, thoughts on Titi Pass's backhand possibly looking better. I think he's changed the technique slightly, plus new strings, and clearly getting used to it. But able to generate more offense than before. The power did look a little bit easier for Titi Pass on the backhand wing, and it looked like he was able to uh, hit a little bit bigger without. Swinging out of his shoes, I kind of noticed that as well. So let's continue to monitor it. Uh, I agree, the backhand was pretty good in most of these matches. Now the the return and the defense wasn't, but offensively, uh, yeah, I agree, it was it was good. From Jonas, what the hell happened to Zverev? Is he moving down in your slam predictions this year because of his result in Australia? And speaking of, who are the male players that specifically get you excited and worried? Moving towards uh, the rest of the season after their AO result, it, excited and worried. Okay, I, I think I think I, I see what you're getting at there. Uh, in terms of Zverev, as I said, like this was a bizarre performance against Shapovalov to me, and I've reached the point where I can't I can't predict him to do well in a major, really, or to, to pick up, to string together a couple of big wins in a major until I see him not necessarily win a major, but pick up a big win, like beat, beat a rival in a major until he beats a rival in a major. I just mentally, it's just something changes for him. He's not handling the pressure well at all at, at majors. And in the beginning of his career, it was him getting upset and going five sets with with you know the Alizaz Bednays of the world, right? And just not being able to distinguish these early round players, and then ultimately getting upset. Recently, he's been good. He's been making quarterfinals, semifinals, very, very consistently. And he just now now it's a new hump. He can't he can't beat top fifteen players um, in these majors. He's not getting it done. And it's just, he's not handling the pressure well and his game has fallen apart. And I, I don't understand, you know, for someone, he said after that the pressure got to me of potentially becoming world number one. If you're trying to take pressure off yourself, if you're Alexander Zverev, stop talking yourself up then. You, you can't talk yourself up and say, I struggle with the pressure. You're, you're putting more pressure on yourself by putting yourself in there Anytime you talk about who are the best players in the world, take a page out of Nadal's book. Be humble. If you want to take pressure off yourself, I have no problem with with cocky talk. No problem with that at all. But you're gonna you're gonna be cocky, and then you're gonna say there was too much pressure. It doesn't work. Those two things don't add up. Oh, and then uh, who am I excited about, and who am I worried about? Um, I am excited about um, FAA, worried about Herkoch and um, Cam Nori. Yeah, Herkoch and Cam Nori. Worried, excited. Felix. Let me let me give you another excited. Uh, nothing's coming to mind, right off the bat. I eh, forget it. Um. From Sandra, out of all the top ATP players, whose technically incorrect strokes stand out to you the most, and to what extent does it hurt the player's game? Hurt the player's game is an interesting one. I mean, Hachinov's forehand comes to mind, for sure. And Tsitsipas's slice comes to mind, for sure. And then I, I think there's another category of strokes that don't hurt the player's game. and then you got to look at like Medvedev's forehand, which the takeback is insane. The follow through is insane. I, I can't believe how he follows through on his forehand. but um, you know, it doesn't really hold him back. Uh, there are issues with his forehand, but it's not like a it's not a bona fide weakness either. This one from Doriano. We should establish that all talk about goat should be null and void until a player is done playing. Then we can evaluate their entire body of work. Also, it seems as if we have goats per surface. Um, Okay, I'll I'll, I'll let that comment stand on its own. Nothing to add there. Let's go to um, Ardon. Would Federer still be grass goat if Djokovic ends up with the same amount of Wimbledon's as Fed? I, I have no idea. Oh, is that a reply? I have no idea. I have no answer to that question. Flavio, uh, what player impressed you most and who impressed you the least? Oh, well, that, that question I, I kind of answered, but I guess I can go into more depth on it now. Uh, Felix, again, nerve management, dynamic court positioning, willing to defend, willing to use his legs more, hitting the larger margins on his forehand. Uh, More margin in the transition game, trusting his volleys a bit more. I'm seeing uh, different things on his return, taking the second serve return early sometimes, backing up and using the heavy uh, second serve return on the forehand. I see him as now, I'm starting to just see FAA as a player who actually has variety and tactics in his game. And I mean, that is just, he always had the tools. He always had the athleticism. He always had the the technique and the shot making ability and now he's just starting to put it together. So FAA by far. And then Herkoch, again, just pace generation, forehand, uh doing damage from the back of the court. He's got to figure out a way to to be able to use his forehand offensively or it's just gonna it's just gonna kill him. Uh so much of the rest of his game is in such a great is in great great position. He's just got to figure that part out. And he definitely didn't against Manorino. Just really panicked in that match. Had no clue uh, what to do. From Nathan, do you think Rafa will concentrate on moving up the rankings or try to focus more on slams? And what are Mehdi's chances for Wimbledon this year? I'm going to pass on the Wimbledon question. And I think that Rafa... I don't think Rafa cares about his ranking for the most part. Brandon Daniels, thoughts on Labor Cup 2022. Do you think there's ever a chance it becomes more balanced and genuinely good alternative event for tennis? Not in the near future. I can't see it being more balanced unless they make Russia team world. And I don't think they're going to do that. So, I mean, I think that it could still be a good event for tennis, even if it's not competitive. But, man, I mean, I, I can't. I can't tell you that there's a bunch of young players waiting in the win- wings on Team World that are going to suddenly make Laver Cup more uh, competitive. I will say that FAA being better and Chapeau getting better would help a great deal. And the Americans are getting better, but they need, you know, they need a top 10 player. You know, they need someone like Fritz or a Brooksby or a Corda to be a top 10 player. And uh, unless that happens, it's you're not going to contend with Team Europe because the whole top 10... In singles. Is European. KT Waspa. What were the three best matches. Besides the final. I would say. Medvedev Tsitsipas. In the semis was tremendous. FAA Medvedev in the quarters. And then I would say. Fritz Tsitsipas. Was was really good. Or, or Alcaraz Berrettini. For, for men's matches think i might be totally wrong and uh you know off the top of my head i'm definitely biased towards matches that i covered those are all matches i covered it's harder for me to recall matches that i don't cover so uh let's go to new day you had alcaraz going on a giant killing spree all the way to the semis what happened have such predictions ever been made about 18 year olds other than nadal Well, first of all, no. I've said over and over again, Alcaraz is the most bullish I've been, the highest I've been on a prospect since Djokovic. So no, Uh, not not since I've started doing YouTube in 2017. But also, what happened? He played the best player in the quarter and lost in a fifth set tiebreak. He didn't handle the moment well. He spotted Berrettini two sets by just being completely overwhelmed and overplaying. Then he was the better player, I'd say, for the last three sets, but Berrettini served well and was more clutch in the fifth set and won the fifth set in a tiebreak. Uh, I, I you know, I had some bad prediction luck, in my opinion, early in the tournament. Some bad prediction skill also, and it's always tough with Australia because uh, we haven't seen these guys play, in large part, much. We've seen like two, three matches since the offseason. So it's always going to be harder to predict the first week in Australia. But yeah, I mean... You know, he lost in a fifth set tiebreak to to the player who, if he was going to lose, I thought it was going to be Berrettini, and I thought that would be the inflection point in that quarter, and then it was. So I didn't feel like I was very far off in that at all because he almost won. Uh, Leandro Haas, uh, when Nadal said that he didn't practice to endure a five-hour match, it seemed logical due to the recent foot surgery. Can you elaborate on how these guys train to be able to sustain their physicality throughout these long matches? Keep up the awesome work with what you are doing. Well, most pros, when you talk to them, you just can't simulate those long three to five set battles. And part of that is the nerves that you feel. Nerves are actually physically uh, difficult. They, they make you more tired. Um, part of it is just, it's not smart to really train that hard that long. So you're not really going to do it. You're going to, you're going to destroy your body. So, uh, the best way to be physically ready for, for match play is to get matches in and Nadal didn't have that coming in. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I was super impressed with his endurance, his long-term endurance in the, in the final. And, uh, I was wrong about that. I didn't think he'd have that in him. But by the time the fifth set came around, it was very clear that he did have it in him. Uh, but it would have been impossible to really know that for sure. And I thought there was some mind over matter stuff that happened with Nadal as well. I think that he he was feeling tired. He he said after the match, he was dead. Absolutely gas tank empty after that final. But he just he pushed through it. Willpower is part of uh, what you can do physically. And Nadal pushes himself to the very limit, and it serves him well. Fictional frontiers. How much of the final was the pressure going up two sets to love? It often appears that one can win the third. The pressure shifts to one who won the first two sets. And if the fourth is lost, even more pressure. By the way, amazing analysis. Thank you. Pressure. Uh, I didn't see pressure as a huge factor, actually. I saw... I don't think the cushion helped Medvedev try to helped Medvedev play his best tennis. The scoreboard cushion. You saw Medvedev actually raised his level in the 5th. He played better in the 5th than he did probably in the 2nd, 3rd or 4th. Now Nadal was so good off the ground in the 5th and Medvedev missed some returns which I still can't I thought that was again the most inexplicable part of the match was how he missed those backhand returns which he was making the whole match. But other than that, I think Medvedev raised his level in the 5th. So I, I don't know that it was the pressure, but I think Medvedev felt a little bit crampy in the legs. He felt those twitches, those cramps coming on. And I think it was because, oh, whoa, I, I have a big cushion. Let me try to see what I can do here. Let me shorten points and not really dig in here as, as hard as I might because I want to save my body and I don't want to cramp. And as a result, I don't think he physically invested much in the fourth set especially, but even towards the end of the third set, I think he was trying to win it the easy way, and that was never going to work. Uh, that's where you see where you saw all the drop shots, all the naked silly net approaches, all of the, the ground strokes that left him open to, to counters just going down the line or, or cross-court big and just not being willing to play the long rallies anymore, which was the advantage that he had over Nadal in the first two sets. So the cushion didn't help him, but I don't think it was pressure, if that makes sense. It was the the comfort. The comfort didn't help him. But in the fifth set, he actually raised his level. Are there any market inefficiencies? No, wait. Inefficiencies. Market inefficiencies. Although Max here uh, used the Spanish word. To exploit in tennis to help find slash develop the best players. Baseball OPS batting average, basketball, efficient shooting is better than volume shooting. Are there any data slash insights that are underutilized? Uh yeah, I would say I would say if you if you want to tell how good a stroke is, you you take winners and forced errors and you put it into a rate against the unforced errors. You put that into a rate, and then you can start to see who's actually, you know who is bringing the most effectiveness on ground strokes. And then for serve return, I think uh, we should do a much better, you you should always keep a much closer eye on returns in play percentage, both uh, in terms of how often are these players getting on return serves and how often are these players getting returns back in play. Those are the two underutilized uh, metrics. But I mean, if you just kind of, anytime you listen to my analysis, if you just focus on the stats that I like to talk about, those are the stats that I feel like are important. I'm not really talking about, not talking about certain things as often as like, you know, I don't know, just naked winners to unforced errors or naked first serve in like, there's always larger context to it. I don't know. Wrapping up these Twitter questions. Um, why not the goat question i i can't get into that now it's it's complicated in in short like i don't think it brings i actually don't have a problem with the goat question from like a from a perspective that i don't think there's anything blatantly wrong with it but the toxicity and the immaturity that it that comes with it is completely counterproductive like it totally makes everything worse it's more of a results based thing, you know so it can be an interesting discussion. it it can be it has the potential to be, but it's not. It's just not because it it is not an, an illuminating conversation because it's too tribal, it's too polarized and it ends up not being about it, it ends up being a unintelligent conversation that I don't think I don't think is uh, fruitful. That's why. Um I'm not really understanding the question from Manjunith. Uh Tennis in the Park, can you talk about gr- the great tactical display in the men's final? I think neither Medvedev or Nadal had a cut and dry way to succeed, so we saw them trying many different approaches. I um I agree. I think I agree. I thought it was tactically... I think it's always a chess match uh, between these guys. And we saw... I think Medvedev really use his backhand down the line at a high rate to get to Nadal's backhand all the time and to pepper that side. Now, Nadal started to be more aggressive and offensive, started to do damage off that side. We saw, Nadal's, uh, we saw Medvedev go big off of Nadal's slice to try to scare him off of using it so often. Uh, we saw a lot of interesting things happen... With uh with just rally tolerance and how Medvedev responded to that in a way, going to the drop shot, uh, unsuccessfully Nadal having all the answers to that tactic. I mean, there's too much to really go into, but but yeah, I mean it was uh, it's always very tactical when these two play, in my opinion. All right, back to YouTube comments. This one from Sergio Rodriguez. Why do tennis critics slash observers slash journalists, even yourself, Gil, sometimes always underestimate Rafa away from clay? They shouldn't. I mean, it's first of all, I don't think I have. If you look at the history of it, starting in like, I mean, I don't know how far back you want to go, but um, 2017 US Open, uh, Nadal didn't play well there, um, right? No, no, no. No, no. I'm talking, I'm thinking of 2016. I I was thinking of Pui. Um, 2017 US Open, I don't remember my prediction. I don't remember. Um, 2018, I picked him to win Wimbledon, and that was an overprediction. Lost a 50 50 semifinal to Novak. Um, you know, Australian Open 2019, I picked him to the final, I believe. No, that's not true. I picked him to win. I underpredicted him, then I overpredicted him. Uh, Wimbledon 2019, I don't think. Um, I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I think if you go back, I don't, I don't think I've uh, had any pattern of underpredicting him off of clay. But if I have, it's because he hasn't shown good health. That's it. It's because he hasn't shown good health off clay, and that's why critics, observers, journalists—I don't think anyone had any doubt about Nadal's abilities coming into this tournament. But at the same time, and in the same breath, I think objectively, you couldn't have, you couldn't have picked him to win if you, if you just listen to what Carlos Moyá was saying. And congratulations if you did. I'm sure there will be people who did. But I, I mean, I can't imagine objectively looking at the things that Nadal and Moya said about his preparation and then looking at the level that he brought in Melbourne, which I understand he won, but still, you know, you just can't, you can't take anything out of that. Um, to pick him to, to win, to pick him over Medvedev and, um, and Zverev and Djokovic, depending on when you were making your prediction... I just can't really see that, but at the same time, you know, he was still my—he f- my, was my third favorite. He wasn't below Tsitsipas, so the third favorite can win a slam right Anytime. But if you favored him, I mean, how could you with just the injury stuff? So I just didn't think he'd be at his best, and and then his draw was a nightmare. And then his draw opened up, but I mean, Nadal again. Medvedev could have lost to Felix in the quarters because Felix was playing great. And Medvedev saved a match point very boldly. Nadal could have lost to Chapeau in the quarters. This to- could have been a completely different tournament, easily. Uh, from Ajay, Gil, love your show, man. What uh, When you did your prediction for the final, you said Rafa's will and intelligence would get him to a fifth set with Medi prevailing. Uh, when you were watching it live unfold and the fifth set was about to begin, what were your feelings then? Did you think Rafa would actually pull it off and were you still confident that Medi would hold on? Or is it plain and simply anyone's match at this point? I liked Nadal going into that fifth set. And I tweeted this out. I tweeted out that I know I predicted Medi in five, but I predicted Medi in five because I thought that Medvedev's legs were going to be in a position to... Uh, in a Elevated position over Nadal, and I thought physically Medvedev would have an edge going to the fifth set. Totally clear watching that match that that wasn't the case. Totally clear. Now in the fifth set, I didn't think that Nadal would win on physicality. I thought, look, both of these players are going to have to dig super deep here. I like Nadal's willpower, and I like his decision making. Now, we saw Nadal, uh, we saw Medvedev in the third and fourth set make terrible decision after terrible decision, uh, just not digging in deep enough. And although he dug deeper in the fifth set, if if both players are tired, Nadal has better finishing skills, point shortening skills. Nadal has better willpower. Nadal has better decision making. And I just, if they're both going to be tired, I like Nadal. The reason I like Medvedev originally is because I thought he would be less tired. If that makes sense. So yeah, I tweeted that out. I I did favor Nadal going into the fifth. Are you satisfied with the speed of the surfaces of the non-clay slams? Would you want at least one to be fast like the serve and volley days? I'm not sure. You know, I think I you know Australia is playing super fast. Okay, super fast. I mean, 90% hold percentage for Nadal. Like if you just followed Berrettini, Medvedev, Nadal, and and Tsitsipas through the tournament. You can't ask for much faster. I mean, they were holding serve with ease. There were not breaks of serve. I mean, service winners, aces, serve plus one, short points. That's, that's what these matches looked like. U.S. Open is getting pretty fast too. So do I want more speed? No, not really. I don't need more speed. In fact, we're getting to a point where I'm starting to, uh, and I want to dig into the numbers. I'm starting to question if Wimbledon is uh, is slower than Australia. So I got to look into that. From Anthony, which spring tournament are you most looking forward to? Is it one of the Sunshine Doubles or one of the major clay season events? I don't have a, an unequivocal answer to that. I will say the match I want to see right now is Nadal-Titipas on clay. That's the match that I want to see. I want to see a rematch of that Barcelona final. I want to see it um, you know, in Monte Carlo or maybe Barcelona again, but uh, maybe Rome. In general, Rome is, tends to be kind of my favorite in general. But I love Indian Wells too. Team keeps finding reasons to not come back and keeps pushing back his return. How has this affected your thoughts on his return and what sort of level are you expecting out of him in his return? Can't answer the level question. It's guesswork. Uh, but I, I hope I hope good. I think it'll take some time has it affected my thoughts on his return yeah it's it's just pushed back the timeline here significantly and uh it's it's gone past the point where there was a point in time where i thought his injury was actually going to be a welcome break and a blessing in disguise obviously it's gone way past that no longer can it be a blessing in disguise you can't put a positive spin on missing this much time it's just it's just not ideal and you know, now it's just pressing up against clay court season in a way where you just wonder, I guess, uh, what's the new target? What's the target for team where you want him to be 100%? Maybe U.S. Open? You can't see any time before then team. Uh, you know, you think, you'd think he needs some time. Another team question uh, from VTech. Assuming no further health issues, will Dominic team win another Grand Slam title? Also, I know that you don't discuss women's tennis a lot, but will any of the old guard, Azarenka, Halep, Kerver, Kavitova, and Serena, win another Grand Slam? Will team win another Slam? Ah. Ah. I don't, ah. It's so, so tough. I don't have, you see, with, I like to give these players the benefit of the doubt. I'll say Yeah. I I like to give players coming back from injury the benefit of the doubt. So I'm going to go, yeah, that's just, that's how I operate. Um, Unless, unless a player shows me that they come back from injury and they, they're off and they're not the same. I'm just going to, I'm generally going to say, yeah, sure. You can come back from injury and get back to where you were. So I'll say, yeah. Um, Out of the old guard, I think Azarenka and Halep are looking great. Kerber. Kavita, Serena, I'm much less confident, but I think Azarenka and Halep are playing, you know, really, really good tennis, and uh, I like where both of them are at. So I'm going to say yes to that. Uh, what can Tsitsipas do to beat Medvedev in the future? Well, he can beat Medvedev on a slow surface right now, tomorrow, but on a on a surface like Australia, he the return needs to be better. He can't lose that serve return dynamic by so much. From GT Lunga, hi Gil, thanks for your awesome coverage of the AO. I was dismayed to see the behavior of Chapeau and Med towards the umpires during the tournament. Their behavior was cringeworthy to say the least, and it wasn't a good look for our sport. I'm not sure of all the regulations, but surely there needs to be a rule in place to protect umpires from receiving such vitriol from angry players. I think of the technical foul in the NBA. Or even gesturing aggressively at an official will give the opposition a free throw, with a second technical leading to a player's ejection. Surely tennis needs a similar deterrent to protect officials, maybe losing a serve slash point, etc., with further infringements leading to progressively harsh punishments right up to a DQ. What are your thoughts? I have two thoughts. The first thought is, right now, these players are getting fined, and... It's not going to work. You can't find the players enough money, or honestly, they shouldn't find the players enough money because that would that would be silly. Also, you know, fines are not a good deterrent. So, w- you make a good point about a technical in basketball because if you get a technical in basketball, you are hurting your team. You are, it's two free throws and the ball, that hurts the contest. That makes that gives you a better chance of losing and the problem with all of the consequences that these players get for abusing officials is they're not more likely to lose the match unless they unless they get a point penalty and there have been instances in which i think they could have gotten a point penalty and diff- and didn't but like unless you're making it more likely to, that the player loses the match that is the deterrent that's the deterrent and here's what i think needs to i think there needs to be a, a A line drawn in the sand. Because, you know, I like emotion in tennis. I understand that. Um, And I really don't have a problem with actually a player getting really upset with the umpire. I think that's totally fine and unavoidable. Just don't get personal. You know, that's my issue with with Medvedev and, and, uh, you know, even things that Tsitsipas and Chapo have said. Don't get personal. And once you get personal, I think that there should be a penalty for that. You know, I think you, you should be able to say, what are you talking about? That's a terrible call. How could you not see that? That's ridiculous. I think all that's fair game. Don't call the umpire stupid. Respect them. Don't demean their position. Uh, don't call them names. That's all. that That's what I think should be the line. Very simple, once you get personal, I don't like it. You know, have some respect. but as far as getting upset, sure, fine. Do not care about that at all. Get upset. you know I mean, I think uh I, I think that's one thing that that is not too much to ask for. just don't don't make it personal. And yeah, I think the penalties uh, could be increased. I do. Oh, we've already answered that one. Uh, Peter Blum, Gil, who should the ATP and tennis channel and tennis community be promoting of the younger gen players? While Medvedev, Zverev, and Tsitsipas are currently ahead in the rankings and in their careers, Alcaraz and FAA feel more marketable and mass appealing. Sinner, I'm less convinced. Who do you think the tennis powers that be want to see at the top of the men's game in three to five years? You know, when it comes to like who's most marketable it starts to get into some uncomfortable topics, right? You start to get into what players look like. You start to get into what their backgrounds are, what their race is. And those things all kind of come into play when it comes to marketability. And that's just a fact. Um, So it's something that I prefer not to like do in-depth analysis on, just because it deals with those topics that are sometimes better left uh, unsaid. But you know, at the same time, at the same time, I don't feel the need to really shy away from it. I think FAA, Uh, is someone who sticks out to me, you know, you you want him to do well, Uh, you want, you want black players to do well, you want more diversity in tennis, you want, um, obviously, obviously you want that, so I think we've seen the, the effect in terms of marketability of Serena and Venus and Osaka. And I think FAA can be that on the men's side. We've lacked that on the men's side. There's no doubt about that. There has not been a lot of diversity at the top of the men's game in a very long time. So FAA has that working for him. I think Alcaraz has an infectious game. And I think his results are going to do the talking. He's, I think, similar to Nadal when it comes to the marketability. Um, Sinner, you know, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, there's... There's not that much to grab onto, but you know Medvedevs, Veretxipas, they all have different things going for him, you know. But FAA is the guy who who stands out. I think the powers that be want to see FAA do great. I think from a marketability standpoint, there's not a single thing that I think works against him um, because he's just he's a class act. A list goes on and on. He's everything you want. Uh, what do you think is the appropriate way to handle returns by team in Del Potro into draws? Wild cards qualifying different for each. They deserve wild cards. Coming off injury, uh, the results that they've had, they deserve wild cards. Confucio, Hey, Gil, in your post-match analysis, you said that Nadal had a lot of unforced errors because, because Medvedev turned every rally into a long one on purpose. You then said that while that wouldn't work against a young Rafa because he would love those long rallies, current Rafa had the advantage when Medvedev stopped being able to prolong the rallies as he, Rafa, is better, um, a lot better now at things which weren't his strengths when he was younger. All this to ask you, how do you think a match between this Medvedev and a younger Rafa would play out considering the different style that Rafa uh, or that Nadal used to have? God, I mean, from the baseline, I struggle, really struggle, to see Medvedev having much success at all. And I think if, as long as Nadal got enough returns back, I think young Nadal would, would be a nightmare matchup for Medvedev because Medvedev already has difficulty hitting through Nadal with his defensive skills, his anticipation, even a slow, a slowed down version of Nadal. So, uh, the fact that Medvedev, I think, has an advantage, and I think we saw this at, at points during the US Open too. Medvedev at times can have an advantage in shot tolerance. Um, that advantage would not exist. Medvedev would have difficulty um, finishing points early. I don't often love to answer these hy- hypotheticals, but the short answer, I struggle to find. I struggle to find an advantage um, in this hypothetical Medvedev versus young Nadal match. Struggle to find advantages for Medvedev. He would need to, he would need to just hit a lot more on return serves because remember Nadal's, Nadal's serve was a bit of a. A bit of a uh, cupcake, so Medvedev would get every return back, and that would be the big advantage for Medvedev. Every return would come back from Medvedev, and um, Medvedev might be able to get some free points with how big he serves. So that would be the advantage. But man, once the point starts, I'm I I don't have anything from Reese. You never hear the big three talk about the money they earn, yet Alex Zverev seemed to get a bit of heat from it when he mentioned earning lots of money on tour. I guess some people will question how motivated he is to win a slam or fight for a slam if he keeps performing poorly in these events. Uh, what do you think, Gil, as Mats Velander said it was interesting to hear this from him? I I don't know what the comment was, so it's hard for me to really weigh in on this properly. I will say that Mats Wielander, I, I respect him immensely as a tennis mind. But he's also a bit of a hot take artist. And I think both things can be true. Sometimes I think he uh, he says he likes to say things that are shocking. Um, he, he gets a, a rise out of that. So I don't know what to make of that. But um, I don't think that Zverev has a lack of motivation. I think he does not handle pressure well. And that, that is what is getting to him at these majors. I don't think it's a motivational issue. Sorry, I can't help myself. Got to answer this next one. Bobby A. You do review for all, but please don't touch Rafa. You are always wrong. Better do post-match review on him. Nothing personal, but Rafa Rafa is pretty personal for us. Vamos, Rafa. Quarterfinals, picked him to win in five against Chappo. Got it right. Semifinal, picked him in four against Berrettini. Got it right. Final was off by one set. I think I had a decent read on Rafa throughout the end of the tournament. But yeah, he totally proved me, I mean ultimately, yeah. I I I thought the expectations should be low coming in given the the preparation and the injury and uh and he figured it out. So, in that sense, yes, my pre-tournament prediction was wrong, but I think I corrected it pretty fast and was pretty on the money after that. Uh Gill, I feel Berrettini does not employ the Isner strategy that he did versus Federer. Uh, When Matteo plays against the big two, is it an ego thing? Just a quick comment on this. I I just, yes, I I would love Berrettini to watch how Isner returns serve. Watch how he uses his forehand as a weapon on the return. And please, Matteo, implement that. He needs to. Uh, That forehand is a great weapon. So use it on the return. Crush those returns. Crush those forehand returns. He must do that. I don't know if it's an ego thing. I'm not sure. Uh, Do you think Berrettini is the least surface-dependent player right now? I feel like he is the harder player to determine which surface is the worst for him. I agree. I have no clue. I don't think it matters. Um, At Wimbledon, obviously the the serve is the biggest weapon for him and on a maybe on a court like in Australia the serve is the biggest weapon but on clay that forehand is massive the forehand becomes a huge weapon on clay it's very the ball checks up for him he's able to to hit through any court no matter how slow on the forehand and it's hard to get it to his backhand on the clay because that ball loses so much speed on the bounce from jj how do you feel about Matteo Berrettini post AO run now ranked 6th? Doesn't look like he can really beat guys like Djokovic, Medvedev or Nadal, but he can win a lot of games just off of his serve and forehand. What is your take? I I still I feel the same way about Berrettini that I have this whole time, which is that I don't think he's very dangerous for the top guys. I really don't. But um man, neither was uh my favorite player David Ferrer, so you can have a great career. You can win a, a crap ton of prize money. And if the cards fall right, you might just win one, you know, if if uh, if everything falls into place. But right now, that's who Berrettini is. He's still young, is the thing. I have my doubts about, you know, how much he can develop from here, but he can still prove me wrong. He's at that age where he can totally prove me wrong. From Kailash. Hi, Gil. Your show is always so in- insightful. Appreciate the effort. Thank you. A couple of questions. One, out of the current crop of players, whom do you think has the best transition game and the best second serve? Best transition game, uh, pass Best second serve, it's between Berrettini, team, Tsitsipas, Djokovic. Nadal, if he hits it like that, but... Yeah, it's between those guys. Honestly, a lot of the best players in the world. So what does that tell you? Um, and then a Fed prediction question. I cannot predict Fed. I'm sorry. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I think we're going to end on a couple of questions about Medvedev here. This one from Andrew. Um, Daniil is seemed to be the best hardcore player of the next gen. What do you think a matchup Uh, with peak Medvedev and peak team would look like, would it be like the 2020 US Open? I don't know. You know, we saw that match at the ATP Finals between them where Medvedev uh, was uh, definitely outlasted team in that match, really made Dominic tired in in that best of three match. Um, It's a great matchup that I just, I hope we get to see more on hard court because uh, it's super interesting. Uh, I, I think when team is, uh, is peaking offensively, it's really about, I think it's more on team's racket to be honest, but I think, uh, Medvedev can easily get team to a point where he's tired and he's making unforced errors. So I can't break down that, that matchup right now. We obviously don't have time to do that, but it's a fascinating one. And, uh, you know, we, you had the straight set victory for team at the U.S. Open. You had Medvedev beating him on the indoor hard courts at the ATP Finals. Um, those are the matches that that I think are, are recent. But yeah, I, I wish we got to see that more. From Alex, has the loss of the older Davis Cup format contributed to players not knowing how to handle partisan away crowds like what we saw in Australia? Guys like Leighton Hewitt used to revel in this environment. And I think it's one of the reasons Novak got so mentally strong also. Great point. Davis cup was uh, a great time to kind of practice that. And, uh, I think the key is you need strategies. You need to know what works for yourself. Daniil needs to think. And by the way, I guarantee you, Daniil and Novak are going to have a conversation. They have a close relationship. And, uh, I I know they talk. I know they're going to talk about how to deal with those crowds. You know, it's, it's almost guaranteed, but Daniil needs to figure out what is best for me. What is my coping mechanism? And, uh, We'll see what he comes up with, but I think next time he'll be more prepared because uh, it's something that you need to you need to plan for. From Longhorn, Del Potro is poised to return to the tour after two full years being out. Ever since he won the 2009 final against Federer, there had always been an expectation that he will steal more slams, but his injuries had different ideas. I believe he is the the nicest player on tour. I even believe that. The big three fans wouldn't really mind uh, seeing their idol fall to Del Potro in slam finals simply because Del Potro has no haters from any quarters. Setting my fondness for him aside, so where could the giant man go for, from here? Can he win ATP 500s and Masters, let alone winning a slam? I think the common thread for Del Potro in these comebacks, and I agree with everything that was said in that comment, is that he uh, he's gotten to very high levels. After injury. But generally it's taken some time for him. He's not. So I don't know. You know I I anticipate that the same thing is going to be true. And health and injury and movement. That's going to be what holds him back here. Because I don't think you ever kind of lose the ball striking aspect of it. And that's what made Del Potro so great in the first place. I don't think you lose your power either. So. I don't know. You know, it's uh, again, it's trying to predict what a player is going to look like off of injury. It's something that's very difficult to try to even do. But I think if I think history suggests that Del Potro, if he's able to stay healthy for an extended period of time, he's going to be able to get back to the top of the sport. From Ross, after Felix's good start to the year, do you think he's in position now to win titles, or do you believe the mental frailties are still there? No, I think he's going to win titles, and I don't. I I just don't see much. The evidence that there are mental frailties are dwindling by the week. And besides winning a final, he continues to show big matches and slams, three straight major quarterfinals or more, what he did at ATP Cup. He continues to show that the nerve management issues are starting to become a thing of the past. Um Hi, Gil. One different question. You always say that you can talk about food all day long, just like tennis. So I was wondering, what is your favorite type of food? And do you cook sometimes? Love your show. Keep it going. Um, My favorite type of food are all the foods that I can't cook. So sushi is my favorite because I can't cook it and I can't execute it. Uh, But in in the kitchen, personally, I I like the Italian pastas. I think it's amazing. All the different things that can be done with beautiful, beautiful tomatoes. Olive oil, garlic, Parmigiano Reggiano, pancetta or guanciale. You know, just eggs. Uh, just those ingredients alone, from the carbonara's to the matricianas to the uh, uh, the bolognese, uh, which is what I'm gonna eat for dinner right now. Now, all of those Italian pastas. That's my we- That's my wheelhouse. That's what I love to cook. From Reed B. Hey, Gil, uh, who do you think wins a slam first, Sinner, Alcaraz, or FAA? I think that it's going to be Alcaraz. Because I have a lot of faith. I mean, I think Nadal, in the position Nadal and Djokovic and Medvedev are in right now, Zverev um, with the mental hurdles. In the position those three are in, and Tsitsipas, by the way, who's not included in this comment, who, uh, you know, if is also kind of, I think, in good position to win his first in the next couple of years. We could be looking far down the road. So even though Sinner and FAA are ahead of Alcaraz now, by the time one of the three of these guys win one, I mean, I would have to say Alcaraz is the answer to this question. Now, I do think FAA at Wimbledon, you heard it here first. Look out. I think he's going to be one of the contenders, FAA at Wimbledon. I know that I, I said these were going to be Medvedev comments, um, but but they're not. But trust me, there, there are going to be more Medvedev comments coming up. From Matthew, uh, Gil, my expectations for Seb Korda tend to fluctuate every few months. I was very excited about him post-Wimbledon, but now I'm not sure what his ceiling is. Your thoughts? I think the physical aspect continues to get in the way for Seb Korda. And that concerns me because I feel like every time he loses, uh, there's something going on with him physically. Worried about the durability. I feel like he, he's always injured. And I'm worried about that. And until that goes away, it's hard to get past that. Because we have seen with your Borna Choriches of the world, your Kanish akoris of the world, your Grigor Dimitrovs of the world. And by the way, I mean, if Korda has the career of some of those guys, that would be a tremendous career. But you can see injuries can just totally... Shape your entire career. If you can't stay healthy, it's going to be a problem. That's my concern right now for Korda. Uh From Sebastian, how much of a factor does the scarcity of clay courts in North America make it hard for their players to develop their clay court game and seriously compete for points and titles during European clay court season? I think there needs to be more clay courts in the U.S. I think it's a huge problem. I don't want to delve into it, but yeah, I think it's a I think it's a big problem. Um, I think three more. Three more here. All right. From Racket Talk. Hi, Gil, in your Monday match analysis video, right after Medvedev won the US Open, you had said that Medvedev has not so much worked on his weaknesses as he has refined his strengths and and how you love that about him. But I think it became so clear in the finals against Nadal that Daniil's weaknesses, such as not being able to finish from the back of the court, his volleys and his feel and his drop shots, came back to bite him in a harsh way here. A couple of questions I have is how much better does Medvedev need to get in this department in order to defeat members of the big three in Grand Slam finals? And what does having these skill set weaknesses say about his chances at Wimbledon, a surface where his accurate serve and flat low early hitting might benefit him? but his lack of variety might equally hurt him. Lastly, in today's game, we seem to be learning a lot more about the next-gen skill set and technical weaknesses when they go up against the big three. But 10 years ago, and quite honestly, even today, when the big three have lost to each other in tight contests, it seems to be more about the moment that got to them and nerve management. Uh, What does that say about the development of today's great players? I don't think that the development... Is uh is worse in today's players. I just think in Federer Nadal and Djokovic, you had you had three of the greatest all around players of all time. And you know the, when 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 you have players that are that good, you're not going to have big weaknesses. You're just not. They they won't exist. Andy Murray. The forehand needed to be a little bit bigger. It just wasn't quite damaging enough. The second serve was was just a bit of a weakness. wasn't quite good enough, right? You you can pick those you can pick out those weaknesses. Federer and Djokovic, those weaknesses aren't going to exist. They're just not. Um, so I think that standard is too high a standard to hold them to. As far as the first part of this question, I I just I agree with it, and it was really well written and well said. That this was a match where medvedev's weaknesses which have never really improved in a dramatic fashion from you know maybe a little bit i think that there have been times where his ability to generate pace with his forehand has looked better but i mean there's never been a transformation where medvedev is great you know has better volleying technique or has better feel i mean i think what we saw here with medvedev's volleys is is sometimes he can be good because he has got good hands actually and i know you're, you're probably thinking, Gil, what do you... Some people are probably thinking, Gil, what are you talking about? He has horrible hands. I actually think he has good hands. He just has terrible technique. And if you have good hands and terrible technique, you're not going to have great volleys. You need both. As a result, I think it, it becomes a confidence thing. Medvedev lost all of his confidence in his volleys in this match. I don't think a player with great volley technique loses confidence in, in those strokes. And... Uh, I think it, it's too much about feel with Medvedev because he just—he doesn't have good balance. He doesn't have good footwork at net. He doesn't have good volley technique. And it's a mess, especially when he's not confident. Then it's a super mess. The drop shots, they just weren't the right shot. You know, that was a physical thing, I think. But ultimately, yeah, it's a problem because when Medvedev gets tired against a great defender, against a speedy player, he's going to continue to have that problem. Uh, with that being said, What, what have I been saying when people are like, oh, like, can Medvedev fix his weaknesses and win a slam? And I kept saying, Medvedev can win a slam. Medvedev doesn't need to fix these things to win a slam. He won a slam. So I was right about that. And then in this case, again, could have won the match. Could have won the match with his strengths, with his incredible returning, with his tremendous serving, with his unbelievable shot tolerance and consistency, with his great ability to change direction off of his forehand and his backhand. Almost won the match. Could have won the match. So those weaknesses, they exist. But it does not mean that he can't win these matches when the surface uh, favors him. Sherlock Holmes, another long comment here. Um, One, it's really hard if the crowd isn't fair, disturbing between the first and second serves, etc. But Djokovic has handled these kinds of situations so well that with his great mental strength, um, especially I'm sorry I'm skipping the parentheses here. Uh, especially it would have been even harder for Novak, not having so much the crowd on his side in some situations like this, as he is one of the big three players, a great champion, achieved so many things, et cetera. But he still handled these situations with a champion's mentality. Do you think Medvedev should take a page out of Djokovic's book and learn how to handle these kinds of situations, or continue the way he expressed in his press conference? as every person has a unique mindset and has their own way they go about things i don't know what the right way for medvedev is again he just needs a plan and he needs to think about how he can get crowds on his side so it's a it's a two prong two prong plan how do i internalize this when the crowd is against me how do i react and uh you know one thing would be again like don't Don't act, you know, don't react in sarcasm against the crowd. But that's part of the second part, which is not alienating the crowd. But I don't know what the answer is, but he needs a plan. Two, Shapovalov complaining on Nadal regarding taking time between the points, taking a medical timeout. Because in the past, as well, few players complained regarding Nadal taking time between points. What's your take on this? My take on this was that Shapovalov was off the mark. I don't agree with with what Shapovalov was saying. However, we need to understand that Shapovalov might not have been speaking uh, with logic, and he was speaking with emotion, having just won, having just lost a match that he definitely should have won uh, with all the chances in the world to, to win that match. And uh, I just think he was frustrated, and I wonder if he would take back those comments if he had a chance to redo them. At the end of the day, um, it's just there's not a big enough difference between how long Shapovalov is taking in between points and how long Nadal is taking in between points for Shapovalov's complaint to be valid. And that is really my take on it. It's like a one or two second difference. Come on. Uh, What aspects... Does uh, Daniil Medvedev need to improve to win the match? I was thinking he is very good at defending, but not much better in attacking or finishing. Do you think he needs to be more clinical or more killer shots in his game? Also, his second serve versus Nadal has been slower than normal and provides lots of chances for Nadal to break. Do you think it's a mental issue for Daniil? Because it seems that he's a very emotional person, and in his Australian Open, his wife is not traveling with him. Do you think that may be a reason? I don't know about his wife. I don't think so. Apart from that, he is now three times in a row the runner-up on hardcourt finals, Paris ATP Finals, Australian Open. Daniil lost these finals to three different players, Novak, Vera, Rafa. Do you think other opponents have found a way to win against Daniil, or does Daniil mentally struggle? I don't know. Like, I wouldn't just erase the U.S. Open title that he, you know, where he beat Djokovic. So I understand that if you cut that off, it's been three in a row, but I would much rather include that. Um, And then it looks a lot more closer to reality. Um, But I think the first part is true. Like Medvedev, offensively, his serve's amazing. Other than that, great speed, great defense, slow court surface. Medvedev struggles to do damage and finish points. I'm sorry, he does. If he has his legs under him, it's not as much of a problem. Um because he he doesn't feel the need to finish points, and that's what we saw in the first two sets. But, yeah, I mean, he's he serves huge. That's offense. Other than that, does he have a huge forehand? No. Is his backhand damaging? Yes. Is it a finishing shot from the back? Usually not. His backhand down the line can, can do a lot of damage. It's good, but it's not... You know, he's not going to hit 10 winners in a match off of his backhand. He's just not. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, and then the transition game isn't great. So I think that's a that's a fair and accurate assessment. Um, and then one more from Sue. Is Med usually so terrible at net or was this mostly due to his tired legs? One, I think Nadal is the toughest guy to approach in all of tennis. I've always said that. Sometimes Djokovic fans have pushed back on that. I think he's got the best passing shots in the world. His ability um, to get pace on the ball, on the run, from compromised positions, the topspin Nadal is able to generate from difficult positions, the angles, cross-court, down the line, uh, I think he's able to go both directions with ease, no matter what wing... And what position he's in, all things considered, I think Nadal's really tough to approach. So let's just start with that thought. Medvedev was pretty much going in Nadal's backhand most of the time, uh, but I think Med lost the confidence on his volleys. And is it is he usually that terrible at net? No, but can he be at times? Yes. It's the consistency that Medvedev does not have when it comes to his volleys. But yeah, totally. I mean, I think I think that was one of the big differences in the match was Medvedev not able to finish uh, with his volleys. And he couldn't finish from the back either because he doesn't have the Nadal forehand. Imagine if Nadal had no volleys. If Nadal had no volleys, he could pull an Andre Rublev or or a Matteo Berrettini or a David Ferrer and he could just stay back. Just stay back forehand, 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 forehand. And that could be the attack. Hard to finish on Medvedev like that, but it would be an option. Medvedev doesn't even have that option. He doesn't have that shot that he can really hit through his opponents from the back. And he didn't have the, the the volleys to finish. But at the U.S. Open, he volleyed very well in that 2019 final. So it just comes down to confidence. But if you want to be a consistent volleyer, you need good footwork, good balance, good technique. And Medvedev does not have that. All right. Probably set a record in this mailbag for the most questions I've ever answered. Enjoyed it. Thank you for everyone who participated, who commented um, on Monday. Uh, very exciting. Uh, I am interviewing my coach, my former coach Chris Lewitt, uh, who uh, I will talk to. I'll talk about Nadal and Carlos Alcaraz because my my coach, uh, my former coach, is an expert on Spanish tennis. So talk to you then. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I will see you next time.